Hello, everybody. Welcome to Locked On Colts, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, your host, Evan Sider, joined by a very special guest today, Dane Brugler, The Athletic. He has released his B Scouting Report. If you haven't already subscribed to The Athletic and already went over and got Dane's draft guide, it's a must-have right now. I've been doing it for the past few years. I'm really glad to have Dane on. Dane, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I appreciate the uh, that introduction. That's uh, the draft guide, something I hope everyone checks out. Uh, it's you know, it comes with your athletic subscription. So hopefully uh, everybody uh, looks forward to check out my Twitter at DP Brugler's best way to get it. Um, I, I promise you are interested in the draft. You will not be disappointed by it. For sure. I've been, like I said, I've been having the last few years and it's definitely must read material deep dives on almost every prospect in this draft class, really every prospect available in this class. Let's, let's just start off, Dame. We, I see you over a couple of pro, uh, positions yesterday that we're going to run through, some that we really haven't covered much on the show yet, and I want to get your thoughts on them because we'll start with the tight end rankings because, for me, it's interesting just how deep this tight end class is compared to compared to last year and years before that. How does this tight end class stack? Because I feel like there might be five or six guys, maybe even more than that, taken before even day two ends. Yeah, I think that they're you're you're right on. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see seven or eight go in the top 100 picks. Um, you know, I think T.J. Hawkins and Noah Fan, the two Iowa guys at the top, uh, first time uh, likely that we'll see two tight ends from the same program go in the first round. Uh, and then after that, on day two, Irv Smith from Alabama, uh, Kahale Waring from San Diego State, Dawson Knox, Ole Miss, Jay Sternberger, A and M. Um, I'm a big fan of Josh Oliver from San Jose State, who's the top senior tight end in this group. So plenty of options. And really, that might be the reason why some teams pass on a Hawkinson in the top 15 picks is because they know they can get a quality tight end later in the draft uh, and they can focus on a pass rusher, an offensive tackle in in the early portion of uh, round one. So, yeah, this tight end group, it's a deep group. And it's uh, it, we're going to see a lot of these guys uh, come off the board in the top four or five rounds. The, there's a cluster of tight ends in this group I really like. I, I'm glad you mentioned Josh Oliver, too. He's one of the guys I like here. Josh Oliver, Jay Sternberg, Holly Waring of San Diego State. I feel like the Colts, especially with how they use their tight ends, those are three guys you should watch for on day two, just their, their prototypes and how they run and how they're utilizing their offenses. With the Colts' offense specifically, just how they use tight ends with Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron, would surprise you at all if they took one on day two or even day one and something no offense slipped to them? Uh, no, I don't think it would really surprise me. I think tight end's kind of a, a sneaky need for the Colts. Just with Is it an immediate need for, you know, right now? No, but when you just project forward, um, you know, I, I think it's a position they, you know, like to invest in. And uh, Kahale Waring's interesting because, uh, for those that don't know his backstory, never picked up a football, touched a football until his senior year of high school. He was a, a do-everything athlete, basketball, water polo, uh, soccer, cross-country, swimming, everything except for football. Starts playing football as a senior um, and, you know, er, er, start, walked on at uh, San Diego State. And, you know, he literally, he was a wide receiver in high school. They uh, moved to tight end when he got to San Diego State. He literally had to Google tight end to know what to understand what it meant. Um, and, you know, now he's knocking on the NFL's door as a potential top 100 draft pick. Uh, there's so much ability there, so much untapped potential. Uh, the workout numbers were great, but, you know, you really you watch his tape and you get really you have that optimistic feeling for uh, how he's going to develop at the next level. So I think he would make some sense uh, in the second or third round because 
you're not expecting him to step in from day one and uh, be a big time performer. You can take, take some time, develop him, let him uh, grow at his own pace. And so that might be a best fit for what the Colts actually looking for. Yeah, he would make a lot of sense, in my opinion, in round two or round three, because somehow slip there. Somehow in day two, I think the Colts are going to surprise people to take a tight end. But let's move on to here to our next position, Dane. That's running back. And the Colts actually had Josh Jacobs in for a visit here recently. And that kind of threw Colts fans by surprise because they had Marlon Mack already and Naeem Hines and Jordan Wilkins. But just how good is Josh Jacobs in this 2019 draft class compared to maybe other years? Yeah, it's easy to like what he offers, I think. I mean, uh, athleticism, power, um, as a blocker, as a receiver. I mean, he's got that multidimensional skill set. I mean, really the only thing you don't like is the fact that he has three career starts. Uh, you know, he wasn't asked to be the guy uh, at Alabama. But at the same time, you can spin it that as a positive because he still has, uh, you know, plenty of tread on the tires. And, you know, he's not worn down uh, at the college level. So, you know, he's a fresh player. So I think that while ideally he doesn't have the sample size you necessarily want, at the same time for the running back position, I don't think you need uh, you know this extensive resume to understand if a player has a really talented skill set. Um, you know you you can tell that pretty quickly. I mean when I was scouting for me, um, you know one of the first things I was taught uh, linebacker and running back. It's you know usually in the first ten plays when you watch a player on tape, you should be able to tell pretty quickly, uh, you know, his skill level, uh, because it's one of those positions, it's those positions that it's, it doesn't take much thinking. It's just read react. And either you have the athletic skill set and the mental skill set to perform at a high level, or you don't, and you watch Josh Jacobs. I mean, I don't know how you don't get excited because, uh, his ability to, uh, not only help out, uh, with, the in the ground game, but down the field, uh, really impressive as a natural receiver. He was actually their lead blocker at Alabama uh, this past year uh, in a lot of packages. So you see him going out and blocking for either Damian Harris or the quarterback. And uh, just uh, the competitive nature that he has, the toughness. Uh, I mean, Josh Jacobs, it, it, he's an easy guy to sell in the war room. Let me ask you this, since you brought up the, the tread part of it, which I'm really intrigued by because Josh Jacobs really doesn't have a lot of tread on his tires. When you see a guy like Dave Montgomery from Iowa State or other backs from previous years, do you factor that in as far as a long-term future just because this guy has so much more carries than the other? Yeah, I mean, it's something that is part of the part of the puzzle. You know, it's a puzzle piece for sure, just understanding uh, the wear and tear and, you know, not only just the, the number of touches, but, uh, you know, how much was he dinged up over his career and, uh, how that will affect him moving forward, and the medicals are a big part of that as well. But honestly, if I'm drafting a running back as a general manager, I'm not really thinking about that second contract. I'm thinking about, okay, well, I've got this guy for the next four or five years, and then there's a good chance of moving on. Um, you know, it's just the shelf life of a running back. So, um, you know, I don't necessarily look at running back uh, as the same way as other positions where uh, I'm hoping for that second contract or, you know, I. A running back, I you know I'm I'm looking for an impact player for the next four to five years, and then there's a good chance of moving on. So I think that that also plays a part. That's a good point, Brian. There, I was I was just about to ask you about if it was the disposable position or not, but it seems like you're on the side of really after that rookie contract, you move on. Do you think that's really what the trend is nowadays? It seems like. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there there's exceptions uh, for you know a guy like Le'Veon Bell who's. You know, you can make an argument the best uh, running back in the league. Um, you know, there's there's some exceptions to that, but for the most part, 
uh, you know, you're looking for guys that uh, can be really productive for you. And then, uh, you know, it's a position that is not, you know, I, I understand those that say they won't draft a running back high. I get that because you can find those guys later on. But it's still the number of running backs drafted in the, on the day three of the draft who have not panned out is still pretty high. So, yes, you can find those guys, those Philip Lindsay's later in the draft. But it's still not an easy thing to do. You have to hit. And it, it, running back on day three is a higher hit rate than just about every other position. That still doesn't mean it's easy to do. So, um, you know, there's still some value in taking a running back in the first round, second round, third round. There's still value in that if the player is an impact player. And I think Josh Jacobs certainly is that. And I think David Montgomery, um, you know, in the third round is the same type of player. He has value there. Um, and so this, I think really the running back position Third round, the sweet spot, Damian Harris, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, uh, Daryl Henderson. I think that's really going to be the sweet spot for a lot of these players. Before we move on to our next position, Dane, I was just about to ask you as well, who is the sleeper in that running back group that maybe you might be higher on than the others? Uh, Jalen Moore from App State is a guy who has been a little bit out of sight, out of mind, because he's uh, been hurt, had that uh, broke his ankle in mid-October. So, you know, he hasn't been a guy that's been on the forefront of people's minds, um, wasn't able to participate in the Senior Bowl, wasn't able to participate in the Combine, still hasn't been able to do a full workout because of uh, just working his way back from that ankle injury. But uh, when you watch his tape at App State, balance, the cuts, uh, the toughness that he runs with, uh, really, really like what he has to offer. And so I think that he could end up being a steal. Uh, you know, he's probably going to be a day three pick. Uh, you know, a guy that the team's going to get somewhere in the fourth to sixth round and and going to end up being a terrific value at that point. Really interesting stuff down the running backs. Dan, let's move on to the wide receivers here. I wanted to ask you this because I've seen this recently in a lot of mock drafts from a lot of renowned people on the draft network circles. As far as DK Metcalf's stock, it seems like he's more in the 15 to 20s range, maybe even like slip to the maybe the late 20s. What's your thoughts on DK Metcalf and also his stock overall right now? Yeah, I think that's – honestly, that's where he's always been, in my opinion, is the late first round. Um, that, that was kind of how I viewed him. I didn't view uh, – going back to August, I really didn't view any of these receivers as top 25 picks, and I still don't. DK Metcalf is – he's number one on my wide receiver board, but he's number 27 overall. Um, I just – you know, I, I, have, I have problems with all these receivers, but I still think that they have a lot of ability and can, you know, have – productive careers if they uh you know go to the right spots and carve out you know certain roles uh but dk metcalf you know the the physical traits things you can't teach they're they're freaky six three and a half 228 pounds um but he's not a technically skilled player at this point and can he develop into that sure but i don't think he's ever going to be a guy who uh is getting open based on his route running that, that's just not going to be his strength uh, his strength is going to be a speed and a size, which uh, or can be, you know, assets to uh, lead the production. So DK Metcalf, I think there's a lot of ability there, but I think anybody that's going to be expecting a Julio Jones or, you know, that number one type of receiver, especially as a rookie, I think they're going to be disappointed. That's just not who he is. I don't think he's going to develop into that. I think he'd be productive, but I don't see a, a true number one target at the next level. How much do those um, really lateral speed drills, is like the three cone that was really bad, and also just his lateral movements, does that worry you, really worry on the next level? Because it seems like he's just a one-route kind of guy. 
Yeah, well, yeah, I think he's, he's kind of uh, you want to keep it simple. Uh, you don't want to, you know, give him all these complex routes where he has to, uh, you know, it's a dance between him and the corner, and you don't want him have to overthink it. It's just not natural to him. And I mean, it, anybody that dismisses the short shuttle, the three cone, uh, I mean, you're you've got blinders on because that that stuff matters. And he did improve his two times um, at the, at the at his pro day. Short shuttle, he went from a four five zero to a four three nine. Three cone from a seven three eight to a seven two three, which improvement that's good, but still not ideal for what you want him to see or for what you want to see from a, a receiver. He's a guy that drifts. Um, you know, he's not a sharp plant and go guy. Uh, it, just where he's going to be deceptive in his route running, and so it, it's a factor. Um, but I don't think it's necessary for him to be productive. It's just it's something that it does worry you in terms of him carving out a role at the next level and being, uh, you know, I, and that's why one of the reasons why I don't think he's going to be a true number one threat in the NFL. That's a really good point. Bring up there. I'm right in agreement with you. And going into just a culture, they have pointer, they have a 34 overall pick, which I feel like is a sweet spot made for these wide receivers when they start going off the board there. Who do you think are some names that make sense for that cold system? Cause I've heard names like maybe AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, Hollywood Brown, who's still there at 34. Who do you think is maybe the best fit for what the Colts are looking for as far as skill receivers? I think A.J. Brown is such a natural fit for what they for, for that offense because he can be a slot guy. He can play on the outside. He's a natural route runner. He's a natural hands catcher. Um, and, you know, he's basically the same weight, same size um, as in terms of bulk and muscle mass uh, as D.K. Metcalf, but he's three inches shorter. Uh, he's, he's just over six foot. But he's really well strapped together. Um, he's a sub four five zero forty yard dash type of athlete, uh, big time. Uh, you know, he was he's actually drafted in baseball. Uh, really hasn't given up that dream yet. Something that you know teams are doing some research on. But uh, there's so much to like with AJ Brown. He was a lot more productive than Metcalf was, and part of that was the role that he played as uh, that slot receiver underneath guy. But he can create after the catch. He's tough. He's physical. He's going to block. Uh, A.J. Brown, he's a top three receiver in this class, in my opinion, and someone that will receive first-round consideration. So, you know, if he's still there for the Colts in that early second round with that pick, uh, that, that'd be a no-brainer, in my opinion. I love that idea. So let's move on, Dane, to our next position here on the on the board, which is interior defensive line, arguably one of the deepest positions in the entire draft. What do you think about this class overall? Because it just seems like when you look at the top 20, top 30, there's so many guys that could play three tech or could move inside outside one of the deepest interior line class I've seen in a while. Yeah, there's no doubt that we're going to, you know, the first round is going to be dominated by defensive linemen, both on the edges, on the inside. Um, and, you know, it's, it's going to be something that it stretches, um, you know, into the second day, guys like Jerry Tillery, uh, a lot of differing opinions about him, uh, Dexter Lawrence, more of a, a two-down player who has some pass rush upside, but, uh, you know, what's the value on a, a guy that, you know, you, you expect to be a two-down player that maybe could be more. Um, you know, the guys at the top are, you know, Quinton Williams. He's one of the best players in the draft. Uh, you know, he's going to be a top-four pick. Ed Oliver uh, from Houston, not going to be a scheme fit for everybody, but someone's going to get a really good player uh, with him. And then Christian Wilkins, same type of thing, where uh, he fits best as a three-technique, uh, using that ability to disrupt the backfield, a uh, really smart player. Uh, then Jeffrey Simmons, he'll be interesting because of the ACL. He also has the baggage, but uh, I don't think that's as much of a big deal for a lot of teams because they've done their homework and they know that it was 
really an isolated incident and something that um, doesn't reflect, um, you know, the true character of the player. Uh, and everybody at Mississippi State will tell you he was a joy to have on that campus the last three years. So um, while the video and the incident is certainly jarring, it's, I don't think it's something that's really going to affect him too much on draft day. Uh, but the ACL injury will. And, you know, does he have to take a redshirt year uh, as a rookie? Do they think he can get back at some point later in the year? Uh, that'll certainly have an impact on his draft stock. But at the same time, a team will get terrific value in the late first round uh, because of kind of that discount sticker uh, on his ACL. It kind of seems like Chris Ballard might be one of those guys who might be intrigued by that discount, wouldn't it? Because it's, he pulled off, I think, a couple of times in Kansas City with John Dorsey. But for what the Colts are looking for, I think Jeffrey Simmons might be one of the better fits, especially with the talent that slips there. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Chris Ballard is a guy that is not afraid to take chances on character guys. Um, you know, he does his – he he is a true scout. I mean, he does more homework and detail work than just about anybody, and that's one thing I really appreciate about Chris. Um, and so he's going to know everything there is to know about Jeffrey Simmons and whether or not he would fit uh, culture-wise and, you know, bringing him to that city and all, all that. So I, I, I'm not worried about, you know, him doing his due diligence there. Uh, and, you know, there will be some pushback probably uh, just because he's a player that is not going to make an immediate impact. But when you talk about the value, because you can, you can make an argument he's a top five to seven player in this draft. When you talk about the value, getting him 20 picks later, uh, it, it's certainly hard to argue with that. So uh, I, I think he is certainly in the conversation at 26 for Indianapolis. Another name here that I really like on the board, maybe he's there at 26, maybe even at 34 if the board slips. I don't think he will be, though. Jerry Tillery of Notre Dame, do you think? he kind of fits maybe that Chris Jones kind of mold that Kansas City has right now. Yeah, and Tillery's tough uh, because I think, you know, the flashes are great. He flashes top 10 ability, uh, especially in that Stanford tape. But he just don't see it consistently. And there's also the question about just where football shows up on his priority list. And that's something that scouts really struggle with because uh, it's, it's one thing to, to say that in, in an interview, oh, yeah, I love football. But, you know, he's got a lot of other – interest outside of football and when he's getting his butt kicked day in day out uh you know after a certain amount of time is he going to be like you know what I, I i love football but you know what this is just a grind and i could be making you know decent money doing other things with with my degree and all my other interests and i they're just they're, those are the type of conversations uh, that nfl teams are having about when they discuss jerry tillery and just projecting is he have the commitment level and that's why we're talking about tillery as uh, a late one, early two, and not someone that should go higher, uh, not only just the flashes and the inconsistency on the field, but just, you know, where football shows up on his commitment list. And is he going to be all in uh, once you get to a training camp? Yeah, Tillery is arguably one of the more interesting names, I think, from a Colts perspective on the board. He's there at 26 and or 34. But let's move on to a different name here as well, Dane, and that's Christian Wilkins. If you're talking about character fit for the Indianapolis Colts with how much they value their locker room, Christian Wilkins checks a lot of those boxes, but also – I think he's a top 20, top 25 talent. If he's there on, on the board, 26, might be an interesting decision there for Chris Ballard. Oh, yeah, I'll go a step further. I think Christian Wilkins is a top 10 player in this class. Um, you know, there's, there's just so much to like about him uh, on the field, off the field. You mentioned him. He, he won the William D. Campbell Trophy, which is the academic Heisman. Uh, so, you know, you, he has the, uh, the intellect uh, that you're looking for. Uh, he does a really nice job. Uh, interacting with everybody, like he gets along with everybody. The high character intangibles are a big part of it. Uh, I mean, Clemson, 
the coaches there, he's a two-time captain, and the coaches there will tell you that the only person that comes close to Christian Wilkins in terms of the intangibles and the leadership that they've had is Deshaun Watson. So that's high praise right there. Graduated in two and a half years at Clemson. Uh, again, you can go on and on about uh, the off-field, the you know what he's done. Uh, you know, kind of shows the type of character that he has. But he also has on the field. I mean, he was the only the fifth unanimous All-American in school history uh, at Clemson this past season. Um, he's a disruptive player. Uh, he can get washed versus the run at times. He needs to do a little bit better there. But he's flexible. He's quick. He can penetrate gaps and really affect what the quarterback and the backfield action is trying to do. Yeah, I love Christian Wilkins as a prospect. He's there at 26. I think he might be one of the more easier decisions as far as just what the boxes that Chris Bauer is looking for in a prospect there at 26. But before we move on to our final position here, Dan, I had a listener question on two prospects here, kind of off the board and maybe day two, maybe probably more realistically day three, some edge prospects here. And Max Crosby from Eastern Michigan and Anthony Nelson from Iowa. What's your thoughts on those two guys? Uh, yeah, I like both of those players as uh, top 75 picks. Like Max Crosby uh, made the decision to come out early. Uh, you know, I think he kind of did all he could do at Eastern Michigan. Um, Needs some time in an NFL strength and conditioning uh, program to add bulk and get stronger. Uh, but he's uh, you really like the way he uses hands. Uh, he's he's a guy that can beat blocks in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, he just he finds ways to uh, get through gaps, whether it was his hands. Uh, with his feet, uh, he just he finds ways uh, to do so, and so he's well timed with uh, his hands, the way you know the, the violence that he plays with, the timing, the placement. So I think there's a lot of strong building blocks there. Also tested fairly well, ran the four six six at 255 pounds. Um, you know they had a sub 7.0 uh, three cone time. So there's plenty to like there with Max Crosby. I just I don't think he's going to give you necessarily a strong return on investment in year one. But years two and three, I think you'll really start to see him blossom. And then Anthony Nelson, uh, a little different, not, not the same type of athlete, but you really love the length and the speed to power that he can give you off the edge. Uh, strong uh, run defender, can set the edge, um, and just a guy that's going to be solid for you. Not going to be a, a big-time sack guy, uh, but he can give you a little bit of pass rush and be a strong base end at the next level. Interesting stuff there, Dane. And we're going to move on to our final position here on the board, and that's cornerback safety. Really some interesting names there. And we think about one that really intrigues me, the one I did actually in the locked-on mock draft, and it was Jonathan Abram on Mississippi State. What do you like about him as a prospect? I feel like pairing him with a Malik Hooker, they're kind of a perfect fit together. Yep, you're, no, I think you're right. I think with the skill sets, uh, Malik Hooker being more of that free, that ball hawk, uh, you know, rangy playmaker, uh, Jonathan Abram has a ton of range as well, but he's best downhill where uh, he's going to run the alley. He's going to come down and hit you. Physical tone setter. And that's maybe the best thing. It was fun watching his tape. I mean, I, I got a good sense of who he was after three or four tapes, but I, I, I wanted to watch more just because I really enjoyed watching him hunt. And he genuinely lo loves going out there and competing. And you, you watch him, watch the Egg Bowl tape. He's out there just having fun, knocking heads. Uh, just talking, chirping, just uh, trying to uh, really affect what the Ole Miss offense was doing. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch, and I think that that translates over. Sometimes he could be a bit much. Uh, you know, he needs to dial it back a little bit sometimes, but he's a mature guy. I mean, he's an older guy. He's married. He has a child. So there's, there's plenty to like uh, with Jonathan Nabrum and how he would fit in Indianapolis. 
Another safety prospect I really like here, Dane, Darnell Savage out of Maryland. His stock seems really rising as of late. What do you like about him as a prospect? Another easy guy to like. Uh, He's a little undersized, and that's the biggest worry with him, Um, you know, because he's under 5'11". He's under six foot tall. Uh, But at the same time, you love the play speed that he plays with. Once he sees it, click, close, boom, he goes. Um, uh, You saw that in the Ohio State tape. You saw it in the Texas tape. He makes plays with that reaction quickness, and I, I think he, you know, he's a former corner, so I think he has a little bit of versatility where he could play the nickel, he could play safety, he could do some things um, similar to kind of like a Lamarcus Joyner, who another undersized safety who's been able to be a productive pro. So Savage is right there in that mix, somewhere in the top 75. You know, could go as early as the early second round, maybe late second round. Um, you know, that's the safety position, uh, the second round, I think really going to be a sweet spot for, uh, for those safeties. Yeah. A name like Taylor Rapp as well. I think with that slow 40 time, they bumped him down from round one to round two, but let's move on to the cornerback position here before we close things out with some Chris Bauer thoughts, Dane, and a couple of prospects I want to have with you, Byron Murphy out of Washington. What do you think about him? Hey, he's my top corner this year. And listen, if you are a short, slow corner, and and I mean that, you know, in context, I mean, Byron Murphy's under 5'11", and he ran a 4.55, and by NFL standards, that's short and that's slow. If you're going to be a short and slow corner, you better have top-tier instincts. Uh, you better be tough. You better have the ball skills. And he has all those things. Uh, he's off the charts in those areas. And so for a guy that registered sophomore, only 20 starts at the college level, he is very advanced for his age in terms of his recognition skills, his awareness, and just his ability to make plays. He sniffs them out, and he, and he follows through. He doesn't if, – if there's production to be made, he will make it. And so I think there's, there's a lot to like uh, about Byron Murphy. Uh, again, you just have to – kind of reminds me of Joe Hayden a little bit. Like, didn't have the, the great size, didn't have the great speed, but he's just – he's a solid football player. And in the late first round, that's what you're looking at. Uh, I think Byron Murphy, to me, is a top corner this year. Maybe the guy ranked right below him there, Greedy Williams out of LSU, a, a, really a prospect who got some top 10 buzz we were talking about really early on last year in the draft process, but he's really slipped down, I think, to the 20s. Probably going to be in that Colts range in your 26th overall pick. What do you think about Greedy Williams as a prospect? Certainly a lot to like. Uh, 6'2", he has the length that you want. I think he has ball skills, ran a 4'3". Um, he just The biggest thing you worry about is just the competitive nature. He's only under 185 pounds. Uh, play strength is a question mark. Uh, and then just he left a lot of production on the field. And can he give you that, uh, you know, the competitive juices that you're looking for at the position to match up with, uh, you know, the different receivers that he's going to face throughout the course of the season in the NFL? Uh, it's a little bit of a question mark. And so I think you like the height, you like the length, you like the speed. Uh, but I think that, you know, the competitive nature is a big part of it at playing corner at, at a high level in the NFL. And that's where there is some question marks with Reedy. Dane, if there's a cornerback prospect on day two or even day three, if you want to throw one in there, a sleeper prospect for some listeners who might not know about someone. I don't know if he's necessarily a sleeper anymore, but Sean Bunting from Central Michigan is a guy I like a lot. I've got a late first, early second round grade on him. I don't know where he's going to go, but I think he's going to, he should go high. I know that much. He's tall, fast, cover and clobber type of corner. Um, I think there's a lot to like about Sean Bunting, um, not only who he is now, the player that he is, but what he's going to grow into and continue to get better and better and better. So I think he's a guy that's going to p- compete for starting reps early in his career and prove to be uh, one of the steals of this draft.
That was some awesome draft stuff there, Dan. Let's transition over to Chris Bauer to close things out. You seem like we we hit on him a little bit there for a minute before we really went some draft prospects. You know, you're a very high – you hold Chris Bauer in very high regard. I do, and, you know, I full, uh, you know, fully understand kind of my relationship with Chris. I uh, – back in, gosh, I don't know, 2015 maybe that summer, um, yeah, I, I interviewed with a job with the Chiefs, and I spent a lot of time with Chris, um, you know, talking about players, talking about prospects, talking about, um, you know, a lot of things, life in general. And uh, I, I ended up – I was offered the job. I ended up turning it down. And one of the reasons I did it was a scouting position is my son, my firstborn was due that summer. It was due the first day of training camp. And it just, you know, it, it did not work out uh, timing wise. And I didn't want to do that to my, uh, you know, eight month pregnant wife. And so, uh, you know, uh, Chris uh, has a large family. And so he helped me through that, you know, just trying to figure out what was best and trying to, do what was best for my family while also doing what was best for my career. And, you know, so we talked a lot about, um, you know, just life in general, but also football and got a chance to know him a little bit. And so I've got a lot of respect for Chris. Um, he, he's got a, he's a guy that has a scouting background, has a coaching background. Um, he's a guy that just, he looks for competitors. Um, you know, he wants confident, uh, competitive guys that, uh, you know, really want, he wants the best 11 players on the field at all times. And so he wants to bring in guys that are going to compete push the starters for uh, playing time and, you know, let the best man win. And so I think he has a great eye for talent. I think he understands what it takes to build a culture, build a roster. And I think we're seeing that manifest itself right now in Indianapolis. Were you surprised by how, just how quickly he turned things around in Indianapolis? I know it took a year with Andrew Luck being out, but just in that short amount of time in two years when the Colts arguably were the most dearth on talent in the league under Ryan Griggs and then, Within 18 months now, the Colts have really turned things around record time. Well, obviously, getting Andrew Luck back, um, it was such a big part of it. Uh, you know, if you have the quarterback position figured out, then, you know, you're in, you're in good shape. And so, uh, but at the same time, you know, Chris deserves a ton of credit. And not just Chris, but his entire scouting staff. Uh, Chris will be the first one to tell you that his staff, uh, a big part of what they do. And, you know, Chris is a guy that, uh, you know, he's in charge. Um, you know, everything's on him, whether, you know, they get it right or get it wrong, but he's, he's a big believer in letting his staff, you know, do their work and then relying on them. And so, you know, finding, uh, you know, a South Carolina state linebacker in the second round or, uh, you know, having the gumption to take a guard from Notre Dame in the first round and, you know, doing all these things. And that really fits what the identity of they, what they want to build and just, you know, making sure that they're letting, he's letting their scouts do their work. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'm too surprised, but uh, it has been awesome to see. And I'm really happy for the organization and those fans. Yeah. I, I'm totally there with you. And just as a Colts fan, I, I'm glad to see the Colts are back on track for the long term too, like under Chris Bauer and his staff in their direction. But before we close things out, Dane, just some closing Colts thoughts on the draft before we let you go for some listeners What's your expectations for them come next Thursday? Um, you know, I think they can go in a lot of different directions, offense, defense. Um, you know, I, we, we talked about a lot of those options, um, you know, on the pod. Um, I, I, I'd love to I, – I think A.J. Brown would be such a good fit. I don't know if they would actually go receiver in the first round, um, but I think he'd be such a good fit. Uh, you know, last year – going guard in the top 10 to help out your your quarterback uh, we, we saw that pay immediate dividends 
Well, adding an A.J. Brown to help out your quarterback would also pay immediate dividends. A guy that's going to come in and see immediate reps, you know, he could be a, a Juju Smith-Schuster for the Colts. And so while I know a lot of fans, you know, kind of – uh, boo the idea of a receiver in the first round, thinking that you know go in. A, uh, there's other needs that, that you'd rather see. I, just think about t- inserting a Juju Smith-Schuster into that offense and then the impact that could have. So um, really eager to see what the what the Colts are going to do because they could go in so many different directions. Um, but uh, you know, I I think Colts fans have trust in Chris Ballard that'll make the right pick. This was a lot of fun, Dan. I appreciate the time and listeners. We'll be back to you guys tomorrow for our next.